Welcome to the Todd Z Zcast, everybody. My name is Todd Zalkins, recorded live here in Long Beach, California, where we talk about a little bit of everything, a little bit of recovery, a little bit of this, that, and the other. Some things relevant and highly irrelevant. We're here to share with you what's really going on. All right. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Z-Man podcast with Todd Zalkins. I'm your host, Todd Zalkins, and uh, it's a rainy, rainy Monday, January 14th, 2019. Thank you guys for joining us live on Facebook, and this will be available later on Spotify and iTunes in about three to four days. This program today is brought to you by Balboa Horizons. Balboa Horizons is Southern California's premier drug and alcohol treatment center serving adults and families across the country since 2004. Balboa Horizons is a fully licensed and accredited treatment center and has received Joint Commission's gold seal of approval for behavioral health care accreditation. That's the highest ranking a treatment center can achieve. Balboa offers a full continuum of, re- of recovery care that includes medical detox, inpatient, intensive outpatient, outpatient, and strong aftercare through the lifetime support in our extensive alumni network. If you're at the end of your rope and, and in need of help, please give them a call at 833-668-2563 or check them out on their website at balboahorizons.com. I can't wait to get to our guest here in a minute. I'm not even going to introduce him yet because before I get started, I want to share with you guys, we started a little thing recently called the Bum Out of the Week. And, it, and, it, and we are fiercely determined the producer of the show, Mike Meeker, and I, we are fiercely determined to have the bum out of the week fully exposed on a week-to-week basis. That being said, this message is for our, for our buddy down in South Orange County named Patrick. Patrick is a guy who owes the program a great deal of money. He owes Mike Meeker and I about, I don't know, 26600 bucks. We started at twenty six six, okay? And we're pretty nice guys, you know? We're not imposing any, any, you know, late fees or, or additional taxation for him being so late on the money. Here's the thing, Patrick, is we want our money. We want our money, but we're willing to settle and we're willing to actually, you know, step it down a bit. That being said, Mike's a pretty uh, flexible guy too, and I'm pretty flexible to boot. We'll take 18900 with a used golf cart that's shiny and silver. On top of the shiny golf cart, I want a fluffy white dog. Not too big, about 20 to 40, 20 to 35 pounds. Not on my lap, but a dog that kind of leans out the window. Hmm. I want a golf cart. I want a, I want a fluffy dog. And I want two brand new bowling balls and a part-time <laughs> membership to a lawn bowling club. Because I'm going to bring the actual bowling ball to the lawn bowling club. Okay, I'm going to rephrase that one more time. We want our money, Patrick. Where's our money? I'm willing to take 15350 I want a trip for six to Tavarua Island, a surf trip all-inclusive, a golf cart that's shiny and silver, a fluffy little dog, 20 to 35 pounds, and two bowling balls and a part-time membership to a lawn bowling club. Where's our money, Patrick? We'll, t- we'll give you seven days. We'll take a wire transfer. We'll take two installments, one installment at 10350 a final installment at 19003 Hold on. That's almost thirty grand. However, we will take twelve two today, but you got to include the vacation, golf cart, bowling balls, and lawn bowling subscription. Okay, Patrick, that's enough out of us. You can ponder that for a little bit. We're going to give you 36 minutes to respond. Beyond that, we're filing paperwork. I'm never going to hear the end of that, I promise you. <laughs> All right, let's, let's move on to our guest here. He's probably on his way to therapy or to burn my house down. 
I have here uh, today a gentleman named Bill Woodbury, who I've had the pleasure of meeting a couple of times. And Bill is a KDAC-2, which is a, uh, that's the highest level for uh, drug and alcohol counseling, right? I think so. Yeah. He's right up there. He's, yeah. he's done a lot of work in this field. In fact, he's been in the field since 1988 in a variety of positions, including program director, interventionist, equine assisted counselor as well. His wife, Linda, has worked in the nonprofit sector and faith-based settings since 1995, serving youth and families. Now, it's not mentioned here in the bio, but he and his wife, Linda, wrote this incredible book called Enableism, which we're going to be talking about in a minute. I can't yes. wait to talk about this stuff. Combining their expertise and overlaying the theories of family systems and emerging adulthood, they are the co-authors of Enableism. Yeah. I screwed up on the bio. But work with me here. Through relevant <laughs> information and practical tools, the Woodberries seek to bridge the recovery gap between the family and the addict, which aids in supporting lasting recovery as well as leads to eventual maturation. Wow. Did I spell that? Did I pronounce that right? I, I think it's close. It's maturation. It's maturation. Patrick, where's our money? Yeah. While the book is geared towards educating and equipping the family members of chemically dependent emerging adults, it has broad application to all families affected by addiction, assisting in navigating the various transitions present in the all-important first year of recovery. Bill and Linda have been married for over 29 years. They're, they're the parents of two 20-somethings. The grandparents, of, they got two grandkids, and they got a grand dog, and I respect wow. that grand dog. Can't wait to get my dog from my friend Patrick Bill. That's it. Welcome to the show. That's so cool to be here. Thanks, Todd. This Man. is great. Yeah, Man, I can't believe that we've uh, we've worked through a couple of cancellations. By the way, on my part, I made my amends <laughs> to Bill on those occasions. And, no problem. Uh, are you and I good? We're good. Better than good. Are you comfortable you know? right now? I like it. You're I'm feeling good. Right? Yeah. Mean, see, most guests they're, they're yeah. very uncomfortable when they get here. No, this is great. I feel good. I like the set. Hanging with you, I just feel like we're just talking. I'm stoked to have you here. Yeah, I got my coffee. I'm good. Okay. And if you want some you more know? coffee, you yeah. know what I'll do? I'll stop what I'm doing. I'll get up and I'll make you more. <laughs> I appreciate that. Because I want you to be comfortable. You do. And, <laughs> and, and that's the big thing about it. You know, let's be comfortable. Absolutely. And, cool. and we're going to have a great program today. And, and before we get to the, um, the, the book, which mm -hmm. obviously was probably a long time in the works, a long yeah. time to write. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your backstory. Sure. You, you've been working in the treatment field for a long time. Long time. I got sober in 1987 uh, here in Long Beach. Is that 31 uh, years? That's 31 years, June 30th of 1987. Congratulations on your Thank own personal you. recovery. Hey, yeah, it's, it's what a ride. Who thought? Man. Who thunk, huh? When I went to Long Beach Community Hospital, uh, took me about a week of uh, drunken phone calls to finally fall into the treatment center. And uh, when I landed there, it all started changing rather quickly. Uh, I was pretty amazed. Good, good AA in Long Beach, good fellowship, uh, good folks. Um, they just took me under their wing, and, you know, by the grace of God and the fellowship, that was it. I, I've been sober ever since. I'm assuming that you continue to uh, to be involved in the program of recovery today. Yeah, I do. You know, um, I've I've CA Cocaine Anonymous was a big one for me for many years. Did you used to pack your beak with cocaine? Oh yeah, really? Oh, uh, quite a bit. Yeah, I, I packed my beak too. Yeah, I'm an I'm an '80s uh, early late '70s early '80s baby. Played some drums up in the L.A. area. Played with some rock bands and things around town. 
and really got high more than I. I think I got. I was kicked out of more bands than I was hired. What was the scene like back? I love the fact. I did yeah. not know that you were a musician and you used to jam yeah. back in the day. So mm-hmm. you're packing your beak, drinking in the L.A. area. Oh what kind yeah. Of, what kind of what kind of clothing were you wearing during those? Well, times? man, it was let's see, late sixties. <laughs> uh, you know, had some really good hair, rocking some long hair. Uh, had that beard, looked a little like a combination of Barry Gibb and uh, and. Uh, Kenny Loggins, I think it was. In That's my a head. good look. Good look. It's it was a good look. Scary. Damn, damn uh, right. I got told one night I looked like the Wolf Man. Uh, you know, the character, the Wolf Man. Yeah. Because a yeah. little hairy, you know. But uh, kind of, you know, did that. Played a lot of drums. Hung out with a lot of musicians. Uh, had a lot of fun, but didn't get a lot done. Let's yeah. just put it that way. And that's what and that's what so often happens in the in the thriving music communities yeah. is that is that uh, we get loaded and we do a lot of silly things and uh, for mm-hmm. some of us we make it through and some of us are uh, unfortunately yeah. don't lost a lot of friends along the way um, I got out pretty much in eighty three eighty four tried to get a normal job be a regular dude uh, you know like Jackson Brown said you know work for the the dollar and you know be a happy idiot. That was me for a while, and then it all fell apart down here in Long Beach, and I ended up in the unit and been sober ever since. And so it was just a one, man, your first time trying yeah. to get recovery, it stuck for you. Yeah, that's, that's I wonderful. tried AA up in L.A., and, and uh, the bar was too close to the AA meeting, and afterwards I was at the bar, and that was it. So that was 82. So so, so you got married at about, what, two or three years sober? A couple of years sober. Met my wife in an open meeting. She was taken by a bunch of her girlfriends uh, that she met in college. They didn't know what to do with her. They didn't know if she was alcoholic. They didn't know what was wrong. She was a mess. So they took her to a couple of open AA meetings. I met her in there. She gravitated toward Al-Anon because it turned out it was more family stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, She talks about it in the book. Uh, She's a survivor of uh, early childhood trauma and just uh, took to the 12 steps and stayed involved in 12-step recovery all the way up to this day. Both of us attend uh, the Celebrate Recovery style meetings now uh, on a regular basis and uh, we, we were very involved in in recovery was wasn't cr uh, essentially started by a faction of uh, of um, uh, mr rick warren's group yes yeah Isn't that it, correct? yeah it was uh, uh uh johnny baker was a member of aa still you know is, is involved uh, loves uh recovery and just felt a need to identify his higher power so he went to Rick Warren, and uh, they did a series, from what I understand, a series of lectures at the church, and it just kind of took off from there. Can we talk about that for a second? Sure. Um, about CR, and I have some friends um, who I met early in my recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, God willing, I'll be 12 years sober next yeah. month. But early on, I there were some people that are that were very important to me uh-huh. to this day. They 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 too ended up going to CR, and it really yeah. they minimized this, the work that they were doing. You know, in in the first fellowship, that right. if you want to call it, saved their life, um, and ultimately didn't come back and mm. stayed with CR. Mm-hmm. One of them still sober, and the other one really got off track. Got off track. What's yeah. your take on on? Because um, yeah. CR isn't every day of the week, right? You know, some we have this thing about a daily meeting. Daily meeting, right? Yeah. Well, you drank your, and you use daily. You should go to a meeting daily. Yeah. What's I, your take on that? You know, and I know they have their 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 feelings about it. They try to open up more meetings. They've now looked for other days of the week because for a long time it was Fridays. Uh, ours, the one we had, uh, have involved in Whittier, is on Thursdays, and there's, so there's other days. But I have to tell you that for me, uh, I see it as a marriage. Uh, I don't yeah. see it as as one over the other. I've been a big proponent of uh, Dr. Bob. 
Uh, he's been kind of my guy, you know. Uh, I love Bill's writings, but Dr. Bob kind of drove it home for me. In, in the nightmare story. Yeah, and, and just looking at his history, looking at his belief system, what his wife and him did, the early tenants of the Oxford group, uh, even to the point when Bill talked to Bob and said, how come you got more people staying sober in, in uh, Ohio than we do in New York? And in kind of a paraphrased answer, Bob was, well, we, we, we go toward... We go toward the uh, the idea of God a little bit heavier, yeah. And uh, I liked that, but no, never never leave the roots. The people I talk to mm. in in celebrate recovery, I tell them you need to be in a meeting every day, and you better be in an AA meeting mm. as many days of the week as possible. And when you can't find a CR meeting, you go to a twelve step meeting. I don't go to NEA. I don't care if you go to Overeaters Anonymous yeah. if you need it. Yeah, some type of fellowship that, that, that yes. grounds us is, totally is, agree. is, is vital, right? Now, mm-hmm. i got to share this with you really quick. About a week ago, I, I had the pleasure of seeing a gentleman I've, I've worked with since he got sober, and he was celebrating seven years, right? We're having dinner, and, he, uh, and we're talking about, you know, because he, he's still down in South Orange County, and he's talking about, uh, we're talking about meeting schedules and stuff uh-huh. like that, and he goes, yeah, I've been going, I've been going to two a week, I'm working hard, but I, I, I'm perfectly content with two a week. And I go, well, then why the hell do I still go to six to eight? And he, he, goes, he gives, gives this deadpan, he goes, it's because you're a hell of a lot sicker than I am. Oh, yeah, thank you. And I go, man, the, my first thought was, yeah. the ball's on you. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then I just kind of laughed and go, you know what, you're probably right, man. Yeah. You know what, it, it, everybody has a different recipe for, yeah. for, for what works. And, yeah. um, and so... Uh, Okay, so you've been sober thirty-one years. You got you've been married mm-hmm. to this wonderful lady for twenty-nine. Yeah, and um, you know I want to talk about the book because it's so compelling. And and I admitted to you at the front end, I have not read all of it, but sure. I've read a bunch of it. Yeah, and it's extremely compelling. And this is a subject enabling. And by the way, Bill actually founded. You want to talk about the word yeah. enableism yeah. and how you. <laughs> You've got the rights to it or something, but this anyway, go ahead and explain that. Yeah, I well, I was uh, working at a treatment center in Long Beach and got very involved in the families about eight years ago, saw my clientele changing. They were getting younger, the families were more involved, but that wasn't necessarily always healthy. So I was doing a family group and I was talking about um, alcoholism. And in the talk, I said, well, the family here suffers from an ism, enableism. And... That was it. Talked about it. Afterwards, thought, that's an interesting word. Looked it up. Didn't exist. Didn't think much of it. Year or so, a couple years later, ended up writing the book. When we took it to our publisher, he said, this word doesn't exist. You can, if you like, get an attorney, go through the uh, copyright process. So we have a certificate uh, from the federal government that that word enableism is ours. And uh, we have it for 70 years. So I'm it, very envious. Yeah, it's kind of a trip. I'm very envious. Yeah, right we now. were laughing before we went on air about how, you know, might have made up words in the old days that I'm not sure that I'd go to all the trouble of publishing. And this was just a fluke. I mean, it was in response to a family that they have an ism, that they deal with the same similar feelings and thoughts and behaviors of survival-based denial, which is what the series of PowerPoint exercises and, and lectures I did at the treatment center were the catalyst to the book. You know, on a side note, I, I contacted the, the publisher of, of Hustler Magazine, Larry Flint, <laughs> and I asked him if I could patent something called The Arch. It was something. No? They said no. Nah, they, well. they never responded. But well, I want to talk did about. Did it come with pictures? Well, no one would want to see me modeling <laughs> 
that move, but a bunch of my friends went back in the day. Yeah, we had Thank something you. Back in the day. The Francois Papillon Arch, and it went uh, nowhere. Yeah, it went However, it's still talked about. <laughs> Enabling, you know, I think a lot of people probably know what it is on the surface. Yeah. Let's take a deeper dive, though. Sure. You know, it's like when you say, well, God, well, of course things aren't being helped around in that situation. They're enabling. Right. There's a lot to it. Oh, man. Can you, yeah. can we cite a couple of examples? But this is definitely part of what we would call the family disease. Yeah. Right. And, and what, what got this thing kind of rolling was the idea of the word enabling, the word codependency, talking with families over the years to the point that the families were saying things like, I feel like you're putting me down. I feel like you don't understand that I love my wife, my, my son, daughter, cousin, brother. What's the difference between love and enabling? And there's not a clear definition. I mean, you offered to get me coffee. You offered to stop the broadcast, go over there and get me some coffee and bring you back. Were you enabling me or were you loving me? Is, it, is a faction of this essentially allowing certain behaviors to go unchecked. Yeah, and it's the repetitive. I mean, what's, your, what's your raw, de- what's your, if you give a de- definition, sure. someone said, hey, enableism, can you explain that in, in a nutshell? We'll talk about more about the book, but yeah. what, what would your definition be? It's the ism part of it is when I've switched over my idea of trying to care for a person in trouble and I've ended up trying to control them to make me feel better. So my emphasis is switched. My ism is about making me feel better through my denial system, not really offering unbiased help for them. It's about making me feel better about being a mom or a father or a brother or a wife or a cousin. Because who wants to be married or have an addict in the family that's creating trauma and drama? So out of my own survival as a human, I kick in to control them. Not really loving and caring, but trying to fix and control. Would you agree or disagree with when it comes to a family in crisis? And and more often than not, there are enabling components to the family mm-hmm. of the sufferer. Okay. Yeah. Would you um, would you agree or disagree that for the most part, the family is constantly on eggshells? Oh, without a doubt, and and that becomes the normal. Just like the addict uh, has a normal that that we would consider abnormal as two men sitting Mm -hmm. in sobriety, but back in the day, our behavior was normal, the family's eggshell behavior becomes normal. When you take the eggshells away, they still walk like they're on eggshells because they got accustomed to it. Interesting, and I appreciate that. You know, at a recent intervention that that I had at the pre-intervention meeting Mm -hmm. with the family, I always like to mention that, you know, for the most part, a lot of you guys, if not all, have been on eggshells for a long time. Yeah. To take it a step further, what I would what I say is, you know, more often than not, it's the individual who's dictating your mood. Yeah. If so-and-so, and we're talking about the one who's suffering with the disease, if things are going great, family's great, right? But boy, if things are going bad, stay the heck away or don't address that. And it's yeah. everyone is, and this enabling thing is a big part of it. It's huge. And, and interventionists have found that they have taken this book because we wrote it for families. So we took the enableism. I did interventions for many years. My mentor is Ed Storty. And, Love uh, that guy. Yeah, Superman. Did you work straight off the Storty model? Yeah, back before it, it was uh, even, a, it was 93 that I started working with him. Okay. And we came with this love approach that he taught me, which is the Storty model. And uh, throughout the 90s, uh, up until probably 2002, I was pretty active as an interventionist. So some of the, the, the book 
has this this in mind that what what did I give the families? So what you're talking about is actually very relevant, Dodd, because in doing an intervention, they've gotten so accustomed to the dysfunction that when you offer them a way out, sometimes they don't see it any better than the addict does. <laughs> I'm so glad that you said that. You mm -hmm. know, uh, you know, breaking down for people who who you know. You have a lot of experience, much more than I do, but there's so much that the family thinks that they know what to be is right. Yeah. And from our perspective, when we get the picture painted as to what are all the moving parts going on, you're, I think it gives us the opportunity, though, to lovingly and kindly yes. explain that this is why it's a family disease. Because all of you are not only affected, right. but look at how your behavior is as a result of what's going on with he or she. Oh, you're so right. Everything's gotten normal. The abnormals become normal. Everybody has a role and a rule and a place in the family, and they've kind of all settled into the this is the way it's going to be. So everybody acts as if, because that's part of your denial system. You have to minimize. You have to, to rationalize. We all have an emotional immune system. We're built that way. But when it goes awry to the extreme, that's what we actually call PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is your natural immune system to minimize, rationalize, to normalize the abnormal, to survive it. But in a family system, what happens, Todd, is it all goes crazy. Yeah. Do you think that enabling also applies to one's inability to not really address the problem? Well, the problem is personal. We all have to take a piece of the problem. So I would rather, if I'm your you know, relative or father, let's say, I'm going to help you by blaming you, by getting it off me and putting it on you. It becomes almost like a, a game, a hot potato. For, for the people who are watching on Facebook right now and are going to be listening on Spotify and iTunes, Bill, could you please do your, do your best here to cite a couple of really common examples mm -hmm. that you think are just, you just see, you've heard it, you've seen it so many times when it comes to this enabling and the detriment that it's causing. Oh, yeah. In the book, we actually have stories. We have a number of stories written from both perspectives, the family member and the recovering person's perspective. So we tried to get both sides of the coin, if you will, to, to let them talk about it. But what I see in classic examples over and over again is you will have a, we wrote it a lot for what we call um, the late stage adolescent and helping them become the emerging adults, which would be your healthy millennial, okay? So you get the 20-somethings in treatment, right? They go through treatment, multiple treatment programs, but they always know they have an ace in the hole, and that's they can call their parents. And they can say, this treatment center is not good. Um, we only do yoga twice a week, you know? Or they make me go to these meetings every day. Uh, you know, God forbid, I've had a number of calls, parents calling me and saying, my son is very upset because you, he has to make his bed and do his own laundry. You gotta be, you're kidding. No, I mean, that's, that's a you, standard you've heard call. That. Yes, and I bet you Balboa Horizons and many other treatment centers, the staff right now would bear me out of that. There's a lot of head shaking of, of intake and counselors and hey, hey, directors. All you, all, really quick, <laughs> all you newly recovering people out there, would you please make your effing bed? <laughs> well, if you don't, it, it you just, won't stay sober. Yeah, yeah. Just, just take some simple direction. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so there's a classic <laughs> example. So the parents... Get did, me out of here, Mom. Yeah, the yeah. parents run down 
they they want to be their friend because it's easier to be friends. This problem started in most cases before they were ever using. So you, that's a classic example of what I see is this kind of overreacting. We call it overcompensating in the book, actually. What is the approach that you and your wife take with the work that you do when you can't get someone to see it? Have you ever found people that are so they're so deep? Mm -hmm. And I think I'm, I've had some challenges with the work that oh, I yeah. do. And sometimes it does, it's, you know, it takes a while to get there to really pick it apart. Yeah. But do you, have you experienced where it's like, oh my gosh, it's so deep, it's so dense, it's, I'm gonna say hopeless, but have you seen stuff that's just too much? You, you know, hopeless is, is a word that we'd all like to avoid, but it's a word that, that does pop up in our vocabulary mm -hmm. if we're honest when we work in this field. Uh, you know, there is some truth about the sickest of the sick of us end up working in the field helping others. You know, that's what I was told by my first sponsor. So he also said to me, if they're breathing, they can get sober. Now, that's a principle I've carried all these years, but I have to tell you the word hopeless has come out of my mouth more than one time because, and what I found, especially in the last six, seven years, is because of the enabling behavior of confusing control for care and controlling the situation to the point that unfortunately I've been on the phone too many times with family members saying my son or my daughter is no longer here. So there's that there's that sad serious side to it, but yeah, we all get frustrated. We all, you know, and as a sponsor, you just, you know, that's why the big book I think is so heavy that we actually get to, you know, bang them upside the head. I had to write one a little smaller for the families because I didn't want to be too heavy-handed. Well, it, you know, and, <laughs> and the book is so well-written, and, and what I wanted to project out for the people who are listening and watching is who should be reading Enablism? Yeah. First off, who should be reading it, and where can they get it? And we're still got, we still got a bunch more to cover. Yeah, but you're, wanna, thanks. Who, yeah. who should be reading it? Well, I wrote it for families. That's what the idea was. But but since it's been written, and I didn't realize that I had another uh, side of that all the years I worked in the field, especially doing intakes and interventions. So we found that intake staff benefit from it at all the treatment centers. And interventionists, I would encourage interventionists to give it to their families, include it in your, just hand it to your family members as part of your training, because that's who needs to read it. It's yeah. designed for the crisis period and the first year of recovery. Because we know, and how many times at a meeting, Todd, we have somebody stand up and say, um, I've been trying to get sober the last five years and I finally got a year. Okay, and it takes multiple years to get a year. Well, part of my bias has always been uh, the one and done. I went to treatment and I stayed sober. I'm not a rocket scientist. I'm not especially spiritual or great or anything. I just listened to what the old people and the smart people in recovery told me. And, and I read what they gave me and I did what they asked me to do. Well, that's all we're asking people to do. So, yeah, we got to get the whole family involved. I, I completely agree. And in fact, it's already prompted me to be like, I hope you've got some more in the trunk in your car so I can, <laughs> so I can give, you, uh, give you a few bucks to, to get yeah. some. I do carry Father Leo Booth told me you write a book for two reasons. One, because you got something to say. And the second is because you want to sell it. So I always keep a carton in the car. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I've actually given, I, I have shipped, I wish I had stock in, in, in UPS and in the post yeah. office. I probably shipped out more than I don't know, 2,000 of my own books sure. on the house because you know, people reach out and 
you know what? Here, just take, well, I'm take the same the way. Thing. Yeah, and it's yeah. It, 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 the, 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 it's all about you know, carrying some type of message if we can, and, and this is a super valuable yeah. one. I've already identified just a couple of situations immediately yeah. for which, so don't forget, I, 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 I've got, you can't leave here, I, I've got to get a couple of more. And you talked about where we can, how you can get yeah, it. W- yeah, w- where can someone order the book Enableism by Bill and Linda Woodbury? Well, right now, uh, the best place is enableism.com. So it's real simple. You better it's, spell that because yeah. I, because I want it to be clear. E N A B L E. There's no dash. It's just I S M. Enableism one word. Dot com. Appreciate that. You yeah, know, and it, they can order it. My wife and I have the UPS. Uh, we do everything. Send it right out of the house. Have a couple of possibilities down the road. Um, we're kind of put it out there that we're we Hazelton is back burning looking at it but we hopefully they may pick it up and distribute that'd it that'd be wonderful that'd be cool if not our publisher said wait a year and it's been a year we may look at amazon but right now the best place is through our own website okay yeah hazelden um uh, took one look at my book and said um could you rewrite this with a little bit of different language oops <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 uh, it probably wasn't a submission ready for for hazelden <laughs> however however it's all right it's all good yeah. you know you mentioned something a second ago where um talking about reco- uh, people who are in recovery who it mm-hmm. may it may take some people several years just to get a year yeah what is this is a this is a tough one that i'm going to share with you and i know that you've heard it a bunch I've tried that. It didn't work for me. Oh, wow. And isn't that, and it's got to be tough. My heart kind of always sinks a little bit. Just my first, what I want to say is, what did you do? Yeah. You know, what are some of the things that you did? Did you get involved and get to know people? And most importantly, let them get to know you. Right. And um, I don't know. What's your, um, what is your response to that when people say that? That, that makes a lot of sense. We hear that a lot, not only from the recovering person, but we hear it from the families. And we address that in a couple of the chapters. We talk about full-bodied recovery that, and, and the different elements of the family saying, just like the recovering person says, I've tried that, it doesn't work. And the idea of finding hope and redoubling your efforts and going back in and looking at your part in it rather than blaming the system, whether the system is a treatment center, a 12-step meeting, uh, an Al-Anon meeting, a therapy session, looking at what's my part in it. And that's the most difficult part because that requires breaking my denial, right? I've got to take responsibility for my actions. And for many of us, uh, that's, you know, that's a 12-step deal right there. How do I learn how to take responsibility for my actions? And for the ultimate self-manager who just doesn't want to hear right. anything that you have to say in that regard, we're almost talking to a block of granite. Well, yeah, and, and that's the problem in the families because there's this dry-cleaning element of recovery where they say, take my addict keep him there for a period of time and then send him back all dry cleaned and everything's going to be great. But just like anything else, especially with, when you talk about the analogy of dry cleaning, it seems like I put a shirt on that I dry clean and within minutes I've put a spot on it, you know? So this idea of dry cleaning your loved one and getting him back into the same old broken family system, you're going to spill something on it pretty quickly and everybody's going to go back to the old normal mm-hmm. and the old normal is the old dysfunctional way so yeah, there is that problem of let's not take responsibility, you fix it. You prompted something just now. Um, w- w- one of the things that uh, 
always discourages me is when someone is is not ready to either go back to their environment, mm. whether it's toxic, whether it's just too soon, and, and they're just not comfortable yet in their own skin. Yeah. You mentioned that, um, and I hope I get the name right, Is it? it's in San Pedro. Is it called House of Hope? Yeah, that, thanks for I, bringing that I, up. I, I'm bringing yeah. it up because you touched me big yeah. time when you said that you know, you work with um, a lot of women there, and a lot of these women are indigent women, mm-hmm. and it made me think about the wonderful place in the Costa Mesa called Charlie Street, right. which helps a lot of guys out. But one thing that stuck out when you, when you talked about this place is that they're generally there for a year. Yeah. How... How much of a difference does it make when someone is involved in that type of a routine for a year? Could you explain a little bit about oh, what you do there and, and, and what to. you see? Mm-hmm. That's a passionate, uh, passion place for me. You know, uh, the House of Hope's been there since the late 50s, early 60s. It's been a nonprofit women's program. It's an excellent place for women to heal. And the commitment there can be up to a year. They have something that you just can't, buy or sell, and that's the gift of desperation. And we know the gift of desperation is what keeps you on the road to recovery. And these women, and they're not, I don't want to say they're, they're, many are indigent, but they are not of the late stage. Uh, Some of these women have burned through all of the the unfortunate mess that's been created in the uh, treatment centers of the buying and selling and the in the bartering of patients, and they've lost their ability to have insurance, and they end up down there on the streets, uh, in San Pedro or in Long Beach under the bridges, and they come there and they have that gift of desperation. So those women are willing to listen, to grow. Uh, to be involved in whatever they're asked to do. And it is a full commitment program. They take uh, drug medical, they'll take insurance, they'll help you find a way to get in. And I have referred uh, women, uh, younger women especially, that come from upper to middle class homes. I tell them, yes, you, you, it's in San Pedro. It's not always in the best part of San Pedro. Um, but you know what, you've tried all the, the LA Orange County, no disrespect to those. But you know what? Maybe what you need to do is 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 get that gift of desperation and just park it down there for a while. And and I I love the fact that it's been around for what forty five years. Yeah, it and it's straight or, up or even recovery. longer than that, coming on yeah. fifty years or more. Yeah, and and, it, and they do a lot of uh, charity work. They do a lot of work in the community. Again, my mentor Ed Storty is very involved on the board there. Uh, it is a program that I would recommend any woman to go to. What is, thanks for, for your explaining how some mm-hmm. hope to us. And um, what is your take on when, when it's mentioned that the disease of alcoholism or drug addiction, and now we're calling it substance use disorder yeah. and alcohol yeah. use disorder. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to use this as a, as a platform. That's just a common that is what it is. Cleans it up a little. Cleans it up a little bit. And, mm-hmm. and, and I know that a big part of it is trying to minimize the stigma, mm-hmm. right, associated with, oh, he's alcoholic yeah. or a drug addict. Well, I am both, and um, I got no problem admitting that. But what's your take on, on this? On the, I, I really believe in it. It's that the disease centers in your mind. Well, you know, we have done enough research, thank goodness, that we know that it is a brain illness. And every chronic disease uh, has a target organ. We just got the brain, aren't we lucky? And it damages everything. So yeah, and and once we we clean out, and I go back to the big book on this, once I clean out spiritually, then I can have a better shot of cleaning out physically and emotionally. 
So all three components, when they're treated, heals the brain, heals the body, and heals the man. I love that. Um, <laughs> you know, for I had, a, I had a lot of instances when I was actively out there, mm-hmm. insane, and, and people would say, why do you do that? Oh. And, and uh, well, my, my response was often, I don't know. Yeah. Can, can you identify with that? Oh, my goodness. You know, like all not, the not, years. Not really even furthering the explanation. Yeah. No. It's like, why in the hell do you do all this? And I the truth is, I don't know. Because I, I do. And then I got to the point where <laughs> I, was, I would say proudly, um, it's the way I am. Uh, I am an alcoholic and I'm a drug addict and, you know, uh, this is who I am and what I'm going to be the rest of my life. So if you want to be around me, you have to accept my lifestyle. Well, that worked until everybody stopped accepting my lifestyle. And then I was all by myself, which scared them out of me. Yeah. And uh, that loneliness is what finally drove me to recovery. But yeah, that that is, you know, I don't know why. Um I've spent a lot of time in therapy, done a lot of work, a lot of self-healing. I, I get it. But the bottom line for me is it was a spiritual malady. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, I think that uh, in in having a little bit more clarity today and in hindsight, thinking that maybe there was some traumatic things that mm-hmm. prompted me to drink and use. The truth is, I know this for me personally, is that you take away trauma, yeah. et cetera. Everything is just perfect in my household. I'm still drinking. Yeah. That's I, why you can't clean up all that and then the person's going to go back and drink like a gentlewoman or a gentleman. Yeah. And I'm, gl- I, I'm glad I have that understanding today. But what I do believe, and tell me what your take is on this, but if someone who has sustained um, trauma, et cetera, a lot of stuff as mm-hmm. a young person, it can add fuel to that fire. Oh, yeah. Well, right? it, it's, a, it's just a, a tinderbox ready for the chemical to, to hit the hit that box of wood and it goes up and nowadays the especially the younger people will start smoking and using drugs on on monday or tuesday and by wednesday or thursday they're mainline needling it and i never even saw a needle till i was deep in my addiction living in hollywood you know i started uh, at 14 kind of as a young hippie you know and we were dropping the asset and having a great time but it went crazy. It went awry and it got mean and it got nasty and it brought up all the trauma that I had because the things we see out there, the things we participate in will traumatize the most normal youngster out there. You can be raised in, to use an old reference, Beaver Cleaverland, and you spend any years on the streets using and drinking, you've been traumatized. So add broken homes, add abuse, add uh, molestations, the hurts, the pains, the hurts, hangups, and habits of your parents. It can block us a little bit. Yeah, all it (laughs) takes is you to go out on the street and see one thing that's a normal occurrence when you're using, and you're over the edge. Your post-traumatic stress is so far gone that it could take you, well, you may not make it to the rooms. I completely agree. And I want to come back to the the enablism. Yeah. Two, two things that, that popped up in this uh, head of mine, that is, I, I'm curious, have you found that our family's getting relief as well as some direction as a result of reading it? They're getting some relief from reading it, but you know maybe they've got a little bit of a guide mm-hmm. as to help them with this problem. 
And that's the feedback that we get from the family members that have read it, from the conferences that we've attended and the people that have taken it back to their program, that what we get is, I read it, it gave me some understanding, it took the shame out of it, there's no finger pointing in the book, you didn't, you know, we, we use the word overcompensating rather than codependency, and we give them uh, an understanding that one side of the continuum is enabling behaviors, the other side is building walls. And what the families in most cases don't want to do is just, and I know as an interventionist, I've told families this, you got to cut them off. Let them hit the streets. Mm-hmm. But that's not meant to be the rest of their lives. That's no. It's meant to be for a season. So I call it the mattress theory. So what I give families is mom, dad, brother, sister, you've been carrying a mattress around rescuing your loved one. And what they've come back to me and they say, the relief I got, Bill, is I've dropped the mattress now. I'm no longer throwing the mattress out every time they hit the streets, every time they get arrested, every time they need bailed out. One father told me the other day, he said, Bill, I've dropped the mattress, but I have to say, I still have my pillow. And he did that <laughs> hug the pillow, like the guy yeah. in the blue shirt. Sure. It's kind of crazy. But I, but I got what he meant. What he meant was, is it's getting better. So yes, hope, understanding, clarity, something to hang on to. So they're looking at, at that book and saying, you know what? I got to drop the mattress if I'm going to save my loved one. I can't control them. I have to care for them. And a bloody nose sometimes by hitting the pavement, so to speak, and not hitting a mattress gets them into treatment as opposed to the constant hitting a mattress, mattress, mattress until one day they don't wake up. So is it is it safe or fair for me to say that uh, that if you love someone or you care for someone who has uh, who is in the disease of alcoholism and drug addiction, mm-hmm. um, the the text could could not only help give you some solutions but a lot of clarity a lot of clarity simple clarity it okay took all the jargon out of it uh, it's fine for clinicians to read uh, you know i've had my share of in the when we were before we published it i've had a number of, of people very high up in the educational food chain look at it but the idea it was written for families in crisis you know uh kurt garby says it's a no nonsense playbook for families in crisis, that's a that's a pretty nice uh, support. Yeah, offering of support of the book, and um, I know that uh, I, I can't wait to actually give two of these copies this week to some to some families who who really really need it. Good. You'd mentioned that you're that that you and your wife Linda are going to you guys attend a lot of conferences and mm-hmm. stuff like that to to talk about this. Can you give us some examples of some of the places that you speak? Whether it's a conference or whether it's, I mean, are, are there any things you're doing just as a one-off? You're talking at this place about the book. Yeah. Uh, well, we were at Balboa Horizons. They have a great uh, plug for them on Thursday nights. They have a free community family-based support on Thursday nights. And that's from uh, 6.30 to 8.30 yes, every Thursday. Yeah. Because I've got it written down here. I'm going to bring it up at the end of the program. Cool. Well, I'll, Can, I'll definitely talk to that. We have spoke there. Uh, you know, they've supported us. We went there, uh, newfound life in Long Beach. We do their, they do a great family program every month. So we, we look for treatment centers. We've had opportunities to speak at roots, uh, through recovery in Long Beach. And again, we'll speak at any treatment center if you know in, in anywhere. Yeah, you there. hear that? You know, if you're in the if you're in the middle of Ohio yep. or Arkansas right now. All Bill cares about is a decent seat on a Greyhound. That's it. it. Just a bus ticket. That's it. My wife wants to fly, but I'll take the Greyhound. Would you really quick ask Patrick for my money? (laughs) Ask him where's my money. Patrick, please. Come on. 
He's done a lot for you. And really, what have you done? Nothing. You owe him. How's God, that? is that great huh? or what? Is that great? He's done nothing. You owe him. Yeah. Where's my money, Patrick? Where's my money? We need to go off on the beaten path for a second wow, because yeah. you know what? I, I I've got my I've got my attorney here, Bill yeah. Woodbury. Where's yeah. where's our money? I'm gonna give you a cut of it. Yeah. I <laughs> well, I you know, I'd like the golf cart. I can I just ride around on the golf cart with you? It's gonna be a bright silver golf cart. I, I love it. And and I'm gonna have a fluffy white dog and two bowling balls, and we're gonna drive down to the Laguna Beach place with a lawn bowl, and we're gonna use the real bowling balls Let's and see do if we it. get kicked out. You wanna do it? I'll, I would you know, in fact they do that here. We got lawn bowling here at Long Beach. That's right, just, just down the street. Park. For God's sake, you know, yes. Well, let's do it. And I we gotta wear white though. I want to wear us a fun outfit, though. Well, Hawaiian shirts. Hawaiian shirts and white pants. Ooh, Patrick, huh? if you give us our money, it'll finance us to be able to go lawn bowl here in Long yeah, Beach. Yeah, Where's our money? Can you hey, throw a couple of Tommy Bahamas in there, too? Yeah, a quadruple XL for me, and I don't know what Bill wears, but it's a lot I'd smaller. like a medium. Okay. Okay. Let me ask you a question yeah. about, about, about your journey in recovery. Sure. And that is... Um, and and, and I, I'm it's just it's so cool hearing about all this stuff you're doing in San Pedro with these women with the book and helping families understand you know mm -hmm. what a lot of the problem is. But uh, on a personal level, what has what has recovery given to you as part of your life? And I can tell that you wear it really well. Mm -hmm. But what has it given you, man? It 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 all started with recovery. Uh, you know, I, I had nothing before recovery. I was very lonely, very afraid, although you didn't know it. You thought I was funny and just crazy. And, you know, I, I wanted to be uh, out there in uh, leaving Las Vegas kind of mode, you know, uh, doing my best Nicolas Cage imitation, <laughs> you know. But at the, uh, at the end, it was just me and it was a mess. So it gave me a family. Uh, it gave me a career where I have passion or after 30 plus years, I'm still just as excited as I was as a new counselor. I've taught at different private schools, uh, teaching counselors. There's a lot of people out in Orange County now that are successful in treatment that went to a school I worked at. And I'm real proud of those program directors and counselors that I've been able to, in, to give them not only information, Todd, but, but passion. Because this is a calling. So it gave me a calling. Uh, it keeps me young. It keeps me energized. You know, uh, I, I just uh, had my 66th birthday and I'm really happy about the life that recovery's given me because I don't think I would have been here, you know, and, and writing this book, I'm not, I have dyslexia. I'm, you know, uh, I'm not one of the uh, high level educated folks out there. Is, is, you know? is dyslexic is, is it's trouble uh, uh, maintaining or, or uh, comprehending information? Comprehending it, but what I have trouble with is the written word. Uh, thank God for computers. Uh, I tell my clients and patients all the time that, you know, go back to school, get assessed. Uh, for me, computers opened up the world of writing to me. Sitting down with a pad and a piece of paper, um, I struggle. So I thought I was stupid. There's a label to get rid of. I'm proud of my sure. recovering addict. I'm not proud of, you know, maybe I'm a recovering stupid. I don't know. But, you know, that's a label I don't want to wear because I'm not. I just, uh, I had a, a learning disability. I, I appreciate the transparency mm -hmm. there, Bill. Thank you for that. Um, my goodness. When it, when it comes to um, helping other people, mm -hmm. which obviously you do a lot of, have you found that that has been a, a stabilizing factor yeah. in, in your life? Because uh, it tends to, tends to work for me and a bunch of my friends who are doing it. And uh, 
Yeah. The days that I don't, it's like, what the heck is wrong with me? <laughs> yeah. When it's a calling, when it's a passion, which it is for you, Todd, this is why you do what you do. It, it's not a job. You know, you're not selling widgets. And that's why both of us are so passionate about what's happened to our industry lately yeah. and why we're, we are, uh, you know, in the forefront of trying to clean that out. Yeah. I'd like for you to, I got to interrupt you on yeah. this and I, I hate doing this, but I'm going to, it's like, let's face it. It's unfortunate that, uh, some articles about some bad places, mm -hmm. places that are, you know, charging 600 bucks for a year and you know, mm -hmm. drug testing and all this. You guys, for all the, all the, all you watching, listening, everybody's not doing that. No. There's a lot of places out there that, that do really, really fine work. And, and I'd like for you, uh, yeah. Bill, would you take a moment and talk about that, that, that being, about this situation? And it's been hard for a lot of people who are oh. trying to do the, the right thing here. It's sad, and it, it's a minority. Uh, it's a loud minority. And just like anything in our society, especially nowadays, if, it, if it's the least bit titillating or the least bit problematic, they put it all over the news. And so most people... And families are in crisis. They don't know what's going on. So they're calling up 800 numbers. They're doing whatever they can to get help. And there's good ones and there's not so good ones. And there's good treatment centers and not so good treatment centers. But there's a few bad actors out there. Yeah. And those are the ones that have, that have damaged the good centers. And they've allowed the ones that are not so good to rest on their laurels. You know, so we all got to get better. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and and I actually don't know the answer to this. I'm hoping that you do. For the people who are in, you know, the treatment centers out there who might be in hot water or repeatedly having bad, poor behavior, does CARF get rid of their accreditation, or does it take a lot for that to happen? It appears like, and this is not an official statement, obviously, it appears like it takes a lot. And what I've seen both through CARF and JACO is a glut of treatment centers getting it, and... Um, could you not really quite quick, sure how they some of them got it. Could you really quickly just uh, explain to, to the people listening, what is CARF and JACO? Well, CARF started as, as a uh, uh, more of a residential. It started kind of in the community-based. Uh, it was set up for your board and cares. And then over the years, the residential programs, the programs that were not connected with hospitals, uh, started using CARF as a way to bypass this, the hospital restrictions that were put on JACO because of my history of doing this, I, when I came from hospital days, uh, JACO was a hospital accreditation. So CARF kind of came in to bridge the gap, so to speak. And then obviously, uh, JACO has broadened over the years. And it's a very, it's a stellar organization that does a lot of good work. But because there's so many treatment centers out there, it's, it's easy to hire consultants, come in, make the place look good, mm -hmm. and then six months to a year later, unless there's a follow-up. And then, of course, the state of California is in there, too, and they're overwhelmed. They're overburdened by the number of, of treatment centers. So it was just too much too soon. So CARF is another way of, of getting accredited, like JACO is a way to get accredited. So it, it's a, it's certainly a good thing, to, though, to be asking when, when you're trying to find a place to, to, to get help at, mm -hmm. are you guys CARF or JACO oh, accredited, correct? And how long? And what is your last review? What did you get on your last review? Have you been reviewed since your initial accreditation? Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I actually was going to miss that entirely. Yeah, what's the history? Yeah. You know, um, and check that out. Yeah, uh, you know, it's 
a duty of transparency and responsibility on there. And if you're going to vet some places for help, ask them the question. Yeah, know the questions to ask, yeah. you know, and, and uh, get the information. And call the people that, uh, you know, say, can you give me some names of, of uh, ones that have allowed uh, to be kind of spokesmen. I know some of the treatment centers I, I do work with, you can call and speak to a mother. You can call and speak to a, a, a recovering person, and they'll tell you kind of where it's at and what they found. And they're not paid. They volunteer just to help other people along the road of recovery. That's right. And if you don't have my Pop-Tarts ready by 6.15 a.m., I'm yep. bailing the I'm center. I'm going to call mom, I'm screw out. this. You know, I want milk after, you know, 11 o'clock. You know, yeah. I want I, I want my Cheerios at midnight. Absolutely. And lunch has got to be perfectly prepared by 12.01. That's right. Sous chefs, otherwise, please. <laughs> otherwise, forget it. Yeah. Um, what is the next? Uh, do you guys have something on the books uh, for you and your wife to, to talk about the uh, text? Yeah, we uh, we have a uh, in February we're doing a DUI. I hope it's February. I don't have my calendar in front of me, but we're doing a DUI conference in Orange County. It's a big national conference for DUI counselors and uh, people that work in the field. We're also uh, up to speak in some of the larger conferences, uh, the one down in San Diego. Uh, we'll look to anybody, and if there's treatment centers that need us, because a lot of them you need to be sponsored by a treatment center, we'd like to do that. Uh, but we are looking at different ideas. We've looked at podcasts. We've looked at different ways. You're on a we, podcast right now. Yeah, I am, and I love it. And, and you're looking at a podcast. And, and I'm loving at it right here. Huh? You know? Yeah. I'll Don't. Be, hey, yeah. Patrick, where's our money? Yeah. Um, Patrick, you know, in fact, some of that money, could you sponsor a podcast <laughs> for enableism? Maybe it'll do you good to get out of being so selfish, Patrick. Please. That is unbelievable. Uh, Did you hear that, Patrick? I think if you send my friend Bill Woodbury here thirty six hundred dollars to yeah. sponsor one of his podcasts, just one, you'll only owe me fourteen six. See, because he's a big man. You're you, Todd. You're a good man. You're you're willing to give up some of your money, yes, to help a good worthy to cause. help the greater cause. I'm a relatively decent guy. We can we'll, we'll take the wire by this evening. Banks yeah. close at five. Yeah, so that's we're really uh, looking this year, especially to get the word out. What do we do? I mean, this you write a book and then how do you publicize it? I don't know. Yeah. I, this is like I've been a drug and alcohol counselor in the trench, you know, trenches. So I am absolutely committed to. Uh, I mean, there's a slew of people that I know could be reading that right book. now and, and right about now, if yeah. someone wants to contact you or your wife, are they able to email you guys? Oh, please. Can, can uh, you please share your contact yeah, information? The, the, uh, the in enableism at bridging the gap.com. So it's in the one word enableism at the initials for bridging the gap.com. Uh, how how much does a book cost? Go on there. It's nineteen ninety five plus whatever tax you land in and what city you're in. And in California, they're all different. But uh, we are we have all that set up for you. We can do that. Uh, and if treatment centers want to buy a, because some of them buy boxes of them and give them to the families, we have a very deep discount for that. Um, if we come out and speak, uh, we usually have a, a books that we offer at a conference rate. So there's lots of ways that you can get it. And if Patrick sends you the 3600 $3, bucks, you'll give him at least 15 books. Easily. Okay. Easily. And in fact, if you will take my wife and I to lunch, we'll give you a book. You, you see? There I, we go. It's a deal. We're, we're making tremendous progress here. That's it. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on today. Cool. And, and, and Bill, I, I, know, I, I thank you for your time to come out here on the 
pouring rain, which we have about <laughs> once a decade once here a in decade. Long Beach. Yeah. Before we, uh, before we uh, uh, close it out here, uh, I'd like for you to, if you wouldn't mind, share with people who are watching and listening. If, if someone out there is struggling with mm-hmm. the disease and, and feeling that sense of hopelessness. What are some words you can share with them uh, that uh, that there is help out there and and that living this life that we're doing today together is a heck of a lot better than oh. the one that we had before? Man. Do you mind uh, touching base on that oh, for a second? I would love to. That's that's a passion of mine. It it <laughs> it is scary, okay, to leave what's familiar, even though what's familiar is killing you. I get that. Uh, Doctor Silkworth in the Alcoholics Anonymous book talks about the normal life for the addict alcoholic. So what you believe is normal is very abnormal. Uh, Take that chance. uh, Realize you don't have to give up your personality. Look, you you got two people here that... You know, we're a little eighth of an inch off at times, right? And sometimes a half a foot. Half a foot. Not a bad gig. <laughs> not a bad gig. Feet so you, you're not going to look and act like everybody else. Nobody's going to ask you to sell flowers at the airport. You're, you're going to do fine. But you got to get in and give it a shot. you got to give it a full 100% effort. Yeah. And whether it's your first time in or your doesn't, doesn't time in a, in a program, programs do help. But you got to do the footwork. I tell them you got to do the heavy lifting. Reach out. If you have family, give them a shot. Let them help you. Family, if you're out there, give them another shot, even though they have disappointed you. If you have no one in your life, come to the program. You'll find a family. And that was my case. I had no family till I got sober, and I got a second-chance family. And, and, I, and I love what you said earlier in the program. You know, it's, uh, it's awfully tough to, to get clean and sober when you don't have a pulse. Yeah. So uh, I'm yeah. a big believer in that no matter how far— how far deep someone is that if they're still breathing, they're still a shot. That's it. If you're breathing, my first sponsor who worked in the field as, as a therapist for many years said, Bill, if they're breathing, they got a shot to get sober. And all we got to do is get them in and love them until they can love themselves. I can think of no better way than, than to uh, get on with a rainy day than what Bill Woodbury just said. Um, Bill, it's been an absolute joy cool. to have you on here today. And yeah. I'm looking forward to scoring a couple of these books in a couple yeah. of minutes from you. Yeah. Before we close out, I got to read something for the Balboa Horizons people. Uh, they cordially invite you to attend their community program. It is free, and it's every Thursday night from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m., located at their headquarters, which is uh, 129 Cabrillo Street in Costa Mesa. That's in California. It's a great place to get the support and education you need from their executive clinical team. They are there to help, and you are not alone. Don't be embarrassed. If you guys need some help, give them a call, 833-668-2563. Our guest, Bill Woodbury, today for the author. He and his co-author of the book, Enableism. You can check them out by going to? You can go to enableism.com. One word, enableism.com, and it's available right there. There you go. Or you can come by my office. If you get here in five minutes, I'll give you a copy on the house. But I'm only going to give you five minutes. Yeah. Our guest next week is Sean Alexander, a a local crew member here from Long Beach. Looking forward to having him on. We'll part ways with have a great rest of your day. Drive safe on the roads. And Patrick, where's my effing money? Mm. Thank you guys for for tuning in today. Bill Woodbury, thank you kindly. Thank you.